Newcastle's new year continues with another game in the capital. Hold on, I'm playing. Something popped up as I was trying to close it. Pete, jeez. All right, Sorry. you guys ready? We're recording. Hey, this didn't happen halfway through. <laughs> leave that. Leave that on the podcast. I love it. You guys are like, well, we got a new open. This is awesome. <laughs> All right, welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode fifty-one, with your hosts Dan Powell and Pete Steinberg. 2020 is here and MLR kickoff is charged up for the 2020 MLR season. Season three of Major League Rugby is right around the corner. Dan Power with you, joined as always by my co-commentator and dear friend, Mr. PJ Rugby 9, Peter Steinberg. Pete, are you uh, feet on the ground? Are you in continental United States, Colorado? I am. I am sitting in my office. My daughter went down nice and easily, and uh, I'm excited for um, the the new season. Happy New Year to you, Dan. I hope that you had some good New Year festivities. All quiet on my end. I actually want the technical fans out there, the, the app-savvy fans, to create like a Santa Claus tracker. I want a Pete Steinberg tracker that I can pull up every day when we record a pod and just see the little picture of Pete I think, popping I think around the globe. If, if we both have iPhones, I can just share my... Uh, um, location with you but i would have to explain to my wife why the other person i'm showing my location with is dan power maybe because <laughs> the name of my iphone's uh, very creative so okay, it's not dan okay. Power. So, so uh, yeah let's, i don't want to get you in not trouble go there. let's not go there well let's jump into the show pete we did say it on the last show that it was going to be old glory there have been a few developments that have uh, led to us postponing that show good positive developments i might add so we will jump up I-95 all the way to Boston, Massachusetts as we look at the Free Jacks. So Pete and I will jump into what New England has done in their, well, let's just put it their long preseason in 2019. Pete catches up with head coach Josh Smith and we will take a look at everything they have coming up in 2020. But Pete, let's jump into the Free Jacks right now. We kind of had the feeling that uh, this organization was going to be pretty solid coming in. Alexander Magleby has the CEO cap, Josh Smith, a renowned coach up in the New England area with the Mystic Rugby Club. How are we thinking they're shaping up for 2020? Well, I mean, this is a team, um, this, they, they remind me a little bit of the Sabercats in terms of, you know, um, this has been an 18-month uh, journey to get to here. Um, they, uh, they were playing games last spring in the Cara Cup. They played um, uh, Connacht and um, Ulster and Munster A, which gave them some, some really good um, high-level competition. I, you know, we'll hear Josh Smith talk about how important that was for um, some of the local-based players. Um, but all of these expansion teams face the same problem, which is, um, you know, how do we get everyone on the same page in such a short amount of time? How do we hit the ground running in that first game? And, and remember, for many of them, it's not just the playing side, it's the logistics, it's the travel, it's all this stuff that has to be learned by a program where most people have not done this before. And so there's going to be a lot of learning. And so it's really going to be about, for all of these teams, how do they start their season? And, you know, um, the start of the Free Jacks is tough. They, uh, they, they go out to Vegas, um, they actually play their first game against Rooney, that that you know, I ninety five rivalry that's going to be a big thing out in Vegas, and um, they uh, they they're going to stay out in Vegas for to be there for the Vegas weekend, 
and um, they're going to play again and they're going to play the Utah Warriors. Um, and so, you know, um, Josh talked about how like the first 10 days of the season is a tour and they've got two games. They fly home for four days and then they head back out to the West Coast and they play San Diego. They're staying out of the West Coast and heading up to Seattle. So that's another 10 days. So in the first 24 days of their season, they're going to have four days at home. It's going to be a tough, um, tough opening sequence for them. Um, but it's, uh, it'll be, we'll, we'll know a lot more. We'll, we'll know a lot very quickly about this Free Jacks team um, by the time we get to the uh, early March. Well, just touching on that, Pete, whoever did the schedule uh, obviously must be a Yankees fan because they play three of the four finalists in the opening month of Major League Rugby, a road trip to Utah, altitude against a big physical Utah side that is looking to turn around 2019. That's probably the toughest opening four weeks in Major League Rugby, you'd have to think. All four games on the road, three of last year's four finalists, just to get things going. How do you think they come out of these opening four games? You know, I think that this reminds me a little bit about Rooney last year, you know, that also was on the road a lot and, and it's all about surviving. And, um, you know, I, you know, their squad is, 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 is strong. It looks strong. Um, you know, I think a lot will be based on uh, how quickly you can get these players from around the world. I mean, it's interesting if you look at their squad, they've got, you know, a, um, a, a few guys that are really solid major league rugby players from um, other teams they have a bunch of guys from the northeast um, a few of them were loaned out but a bunch of guys from um, Mystic River which is Josh Smith's, Smith's team that's been one of the top club sides um, and then they've got like players that they've sourced pretty much from around the world and so trying to get those guys all on the same page is going to be difficult I mean if they come out of those of you know the, that first uh, um, you know that uh, that February two and two, that's amazing. Um, if, I think if they come out one and three, I still think that's okay. If they don't win a game, right? Because remember their next game in March is at NOLA, right? They don't have their first home game until March 14th. And I'm not sure where they're going to play that. Let's be honest, March 14th can be quite difficult in Boston. You know, if they come out 0 and 4, then it's a real cultural and, you know, mental toughness test. But I think that they're going to, you know, I think that they'll, they'll do okay. I think they'll be competitive. Let's jump into their roster right now. And we'll start in the forward pack. The thing that jumped out to me straight away was the number of props they've signed. Now, it's not just the number. They've got six props on their roster. Four are internationally capped. Papura for the United States. Harakiyama for Japan. For Tonga and Brighouse, the big Brighouse, he is uh, capped for Samoa. So a lot of experience up front. The lessons from 2018, uh, 2019 learned early from New England. That's a good platform up front, Pete. Anyone in yeah. that pack that you like? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to be, well, I think it's all going to be about um, how these guys are. I mean, I think that um, the um, Brighouse is going to be interesting. I think he's got. Um, some you know great experience. Papur has obviously been around, um, and you know is also a community coach. But he brings it. I I think all of those guys. You know this is what you need. I mean they've got four props with um, a lot of uh, international experience. They've got um, a few guys that have um, you know some high level uh, professional experience. I I think it's right. I you know what I think is interesting 
is that they've got the, um, you know, they've got all the props with international experience, but their hookers, their hookers aren't, you know, are not as experienced, right? And so it's going to be interesting. A lot of people, you know, they've got um, what Hinshaw from, who's, who's a mystic river player. They've got um, uh, Macchiaria, who is um, played with the Sabercats, I think, in year one, um, and also played with Mystic River. And then they've got Sean McNulty, who is, um, I think he's an Irish under-20 player, but I, I think he's actually, um, I think he was born in the U.S. or he's lived in the U.S., and he was on loan to Rooney. But no, none of those guys stand out to me as, um, as sort of, you know, automatic starters that are going to be stars immediately. So they're going to have to lean on their experience props to bring their, uh, their hookers along. Yeah, you'd have to think that's McNulty's starting job there to lose. You would think so. You would think so. Age grade, I think he was schoolboys for Ireland, 19s and 20s. So um, quite a lot of experience there. I think he's a little bit older, Pete. He so, was a Leinster A. He was a Leinster Academy. He was only 24. Leinster Academy. And also Munster Academy as well. Uh, schoolboys, U19s and U20s. So so let's 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 remember that the, the, the challenge has always been with some of these players that we bring over. And we saw it a lot from some of the players from the Mighty 10, even though there were starters for some of the big teams like Auckland. They came to Major League Rugby and it was as much, you know, they didn't show. And I don't, don't know if, they, if that was an attitude problem. So I think that, you know, for all of these players that come over, the, the foreign players, they, they're going to have to demonstrate their ability to step up. You know, McNulty, obviously, with Rooney for a little bit, the back end last season kind of knows the uh, knows the tracks here a little better than some of the guys coming over. One guy I want to give a shout out to, and I mentioned it on uh, Twitter when his signing was announced, was Zach Striffler, unsung hero at New Orleans. Uh, down, uh, I, I don't know how uns- unsung he was. He had two hundred. He had he was the second leading tackler in the league last year. How I mean, many times did you talk about him last year, though? I talked about him every time you mentioned him because you have a bit of a bromance with him. No, I mean, this guy, this guy is a great destructive seven. I, I think it's going to be a tough um, uh, position to fill for Nola. Um, and I think it's, I, I agree with you. I think that's a big signing. When I saw that signing go, I was like, man, they have got someone that can help them lead defensively. And I think that's, that's going to be important. And, you know, let's not brush over the, the locks, right? So they've got Josh Larson. Right, who who was with Austin played really well, um, Canadian international, and you know there's Jackson Thebes who uh, is a, a former um, Division One football player, another big guy. He was with Rooney last year, he didn't get much time, but another one of these Mystic River guys, and I think um, Josh Smith is very high on him. So I think the locks looks like you know, and then they have a couple of guys that um, from Ireland, uh, um, you know uh, McCusker who played Ulster U20s, also with, was with Austin last year, and um, uh, Kendrigan, who was um, at the, in the Connacht Academy. I think Locke is going to be um, a strength for them along with their props in the pack. Yeah, I agree. Let's, uh, let's drop over to the backs now, the handsome, intelligent ones, and very similar to the forward pack. It's a really good smattering of international talent, and some really exciting domestic players. I'll let you jump on this one first. Who in that back line is a, a player to watch for you? So I think Mitchell Wilson, who was um, a, a, life, a life player and the captain of Collegiate All-American, a fullback. He's someone that's really interesting. Um, you know, a player that never really kicked on the way that um, 
uh, people thought he was is um, Bowden Wacker, who was a New Zealand Sevens player and played for Taranaki. And I think people thought that there were going to be great things for him in the 15s game. Didn't quite work out, but he is going to be a handful out wide. And of course, tag leader at fly half. I mean, you know, I think uh, for the Free Jacks, getting an experienced international fly half, we saw him play with San Diego in year one. We saw what a calm leadership presence he was. I think getting tag leader as fly half was really critical for them. What about you, Dan? Tag. Tag. Like tiger without an R. We'll get it out of the way in January so we don't do that in February. Uh, Timothy Gearman, uh, yep. Timothy Gearman off over from Austin as well. So that'll be a good little battle there. Uh, quite different the way those two play at the 10 position. So options for Josh Smith, depending on how he wants to play or who he's playing against, perhaps. Uh, Johnny Poland is a really good little scrum half out of Ireland as well. Keep an eye on him. And again, another guy I gave a shout out to on uh, on Twitter who is very exciting is uh, Dion Mikesell and I'm excited to see him play. He was down with the Sabercats. He's going to do some stuff with, uh, oh, has he done some stuff with the Sevens, I believe? I believe he's capped with the Sevens. Stop me if I'm wrong here. I know he's I got think, a couple think- of 15s. I think he went with the Falcons on a tour maybe back a few years ago. But he got a couple of runs in the ARC or APC or one of the two. But yeah, watch him. He spent some time over in France with Clermont as well. So really I, I, actually, yeah, I actually think the outside backs are a real strength. They've got um, a number of players that have, um, you know, played high-level rugby. I think the question for these guys is, you know, um, in the centers. And I think it's going to be a really interesting... You know, they've got a really interesting guy, a guy with your background, Peter Lupton, who played um, professional rugby league, played Wells um, Rugby League. I think it was one of the guys he was, he was at the Irish Wolfhounds. He was one of those guys that stepped up at the uh, um, at the Cara Cup. Um, you know, they've got um, Samuel Beard, who's got 44 caps for Edinburgh, originally from New Zealand. You know, it's 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 interesting. You know, it's, it's going to be so interesting to see how Josh Smith even – has enough time to understand which of these players are best. And I think that, you know, we, um, you know, as you'll hear, we talked to him and he already knows pretty much what his team's going to be coming in. I mean, I'm sure he studied the tape because he's going to have to hit the ground running. There's a lot of interesting players on this squad. Yeah. Luckman played, he's, he's the same age as me. So I don't know how much Josh Smith's going to be asking out of him. And he's had a long uh, very decorated. Maybe too. maybe he stayed in shape then. Yeah, maybe. You could be. Thanks, Pete. I stayed in shape. It was just more of a rounded shape than when I played. <laughs> but for me, the question marks at fullback. So only two players listed on the roster at fullback. Uh, Pex Rinakama, um, a guy who's pretty well known in the seventh circuit and played down at NOLA. And then Danny Collins as well, the only two at fullbacks. So maybe that could be something where Leader or Gearman end up playing a little 15 as well. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that Mitchell Wilson is someone that, that's, that's going to fill in for them at fullback. And they've got so many outside backs. I mean, it's going to come down to your philosophy. You know, we talked, I think we were both on Rugby Wrap-Up this week doing uh, um, another great podcast um, with Matt, Matt McCarthy. And, you know, when I talked with Matt, we were talking about how one of the shifts I think we'll see this year is the development of more of a kicking game. And so the requirement of the back three to actually have better kicking skills. But these guys have enough backs and they have enough, um, uh, uh, you know, utility backs that I think that they can, they, they'll be able to fill 
um, fill, those, fill that fullback position pretty well, I think. Well, the man in charge of making those decisions is not Mr. Steinberg or Mr. Power. It's their head coach, Josh Smith, a man who, like I said earlier, very well known up in the Northeast. He's worn many, many coaching caps up there. Over, ah, I'll try that again. He has worn many coaching caps up there over the, through the years. I'm, on, I'm in trouble tonight, Pete. But let's just throw to Josh. Too Smith. much wine, Dan. Too much too wine. Much, just too, too, much, too, too many whites, not enough reds. So let's... Let's get Josh Smith in here. You sat down with him earlier today and had a chance to catch up with the legend himself. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today on Major League Rugby Kickoff. Thanks a lot, Pete. It's great, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Thank you to you and Aaron for having me. Well, you know, we're excited to be talking to one of the few American-born um, and developed coaches. So let's start with a little bit of sort of your coaching career. How did you... Um, end up being the coach of the Free Jacks? Yeah, so, you know, the short version is, uh, you know, Mags, Mags pinged me maybe a year and change ago, just kind of asked me what, what my interest might be, what my, um, what my status was with, with my, uh, my career away from rugby, and if I, if, I could make it, if I could make it work, if it became a full-time option, and if the, you know, if the Free Jacks, or, or at the time, Boston MLR, uh, became a reality. And uh, that, you know, that, that kind of got the ball rolling. I always, you know, it was always a goal of mine to, to be a part of any type of, any type of rugby at a professional level in, in the city, city or area that I grew up in. So it was, uh, you know, when, when, when Mags reached out to me, it was really, it was real, honestly, it was re- very humbling. And uh, honestly, now it's like a burden to want to back it up with the opportunity. So, so how, talk, talk, talk us a little bit about your rugby career, how you got into rugby and in particular, what your coaching pathway was that made um, Alex Magleby give you that call? Yeah, so uh, I, I played I played a bit of rugby at a small school in Massachusetts, uh, UMass Lowell. Uh, geez, back in the day of the cotton jerseys and <laughs> the days when you could you could still use your boots in the ruck. Uh, I, I'm probably dating myself a bit, but some people some people listening will understand that. Uh, and from there, I, you know, made my way as a player till I was mid thirties. And, uh, one of my good buddies that I had played with was at Bentley, uh, Bentley university at the time, Jeff, Jeff Parks. He was actually coached at Harvard, um, had, had a little stretch at Harvard the year they, they made the, the national championship with the air force. And he had gone over to Bentley since then. Um, and was close, was, was thinking about leaving there. So he kind of brought me on to help out and, a year after I came, I came on to assist. He he told me he's taking a job as a vice principal, and he and he had to leave. And at the time, I still you kind of viewed myself as a player that was helping out as a coach. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in all reality, I really wasn't doing very much as a player either. Um, so that was kind of that was the beginning of it. You know that that, that it started there, and I was uh, I was blessed to have some great players at Bentley right off the bat. Uh, we we the first Jesus the first like two years I was there, I don't think we lost a match in, in Entro. Um, and that, that, that kind of springboarded me from transitioning from a player to a coach. I spent a little time from, from there with, uh, with Middlesex Barbarians, uh, both, both 15s, and then I kind of transitioned to, into a bit of a sevens coach uh, where I spent some time with Northeast Academy when, when the development academies were kind of picking up. From there, I, I took a little bit of time off after me and my wife had, some, had our kids. And then uh, Mystic River brought me brought me on, and uh, I had a pretty good four or five year stretch with them, and that kind of brought me to where I am now with the Free Jacks. 
And, and so when you look back at your coaching career and your playing career, what were some of the sort of key learnings? Where did you learn some of the things that built your philosophy that you're bringing to the free jacks? Yeah. So, um, you know, like pivotal moments coaching for me was one recognizing kind of the development of sevens early on and just getting involved in that kind of opening up, broaden my horizons a bit. I was a, I was a front row player. Uh, and obviously as a coach, leaned heavily on forward play and front row play and kind of took a liking to sevens early and, and saw there was going to be a lot, lot of opportunity there. Uh, so I got, I got involved with the sevens game, Jesus, back in 2009, 2010 and started coaching a lot of, just a lot of college players we would bring in every summer and give them the opportunity to play with the club sides and just, you know, basically coach them up for free uh, in hopes that, you know, they get involved with the clubs after. Uh, and then, and then, kind of from there, the pathway into the the, the development academies and working with you know great coaches like Steve Lewis and Don Waring and uh, Rashad Cheswick. Those guys were. Uh, it, it was good to work. You know, we I, we coached against them a lot, but they were also when we traveled together and we, we worked together with select sides. I really learned to drop my guard and, you know, I understand it's it, it's it's okay to say you know what I I actually just picked learned something from that or I picked something up from that and. That was something early on as a coach. It's it's always hard to admit you're not the smartest man in the room. Right. And I think sometimes that can be a strength when you when you identify immediately you're not the smartest man in the room. Stop <laughs> right. trying to pretend like you are. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, you get to the point where you have to like you you start off by thinking you know everything, right? And then you think you know nothing, and then you get to this point where I know something, but may not as much, <laughs> maybe not as much as someone else, right? So those are right, that's right. Sort of the, uh, the, the the journey. Yeah. Right, cool. right. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so talk to us a little bit about what your coaching philosophy is and, and um, you know, what are some of your beliefs about how you coach a rugby team? Interesting, interesting. So, God, I hate, I hate for this to be a pat answer, but, but, you know, I've always, as a coach, like to view myself as I, my, my, my develop is and my evolving is always constant. So, Am I a forwards coach? Am I a backs coach? I don't think I don't think I'm either. I think I'm a, a coach that works with what he has and and you know plays the plays the hand that he's dealt. Um, I like to think I'm a I'm a I'm an architect of culture, right? And I build culture and I build I build players up amongst the the uh, you know the 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 systems we will put in, but also with that like we we persevere through culture and and believing in each other and, and believing in, in in the systems that we put in. But it all starts with kind of, kind of getting guys on the same page and getting guys to buy in. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard man manager, I've heard player manager, um, you know, stuff, stuff like that. The, the X's and O's part, to be honest with you, I've pivoted so many different times. And I think part of that is me recognizing I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And, geez, I don't, I don't want to make this conversation about I don't really know anything. I, I've, always, I've always deferred. But I've always felt like it's – you have to keep learning. You have to keep adjusting. You have to keep on your feet. And uh, I think I was, I was talking to uh, Pat Clifton a couple weeks ago, and I actually talked about, like, learning. I was at my son's soccer match, and I watched a little bit of their warm-up, and I was like, damn, I'm going to take a little piece of that warm-up, and I'm going to kind of use I – li I like the way they kind of right. went right into things, and it, it was great to take that. So um, I guess, you know, if, you, if I was to say where I'm at, I, it's, I, I'm a coach that's evolving. You know, I'm not sure where it ends. Uh, but I, I know, I know I'm, I'm not close to the end yet, you know? 
you know, having a, a, I remember being in your position when I um, stepped up and this was um, when I was coaching the uh, NA4, the USA Hawks, and we, we got professional rugby, US rugby players to fly in from around the world that came in um, and I had to start coaching them. And I just coached the Marfu team and, and it was, I found it a little bit um, intimidating to say the least, but you're, you're in your preseason now. You've got guys that have come in that have played international rugby or played professional rugby. You know, what have you taken from them in just these first few weeks? You know, you're obviously, your philosophy, I think it's a great philosophy, which is constantly developing, which means how do I maximize all of this knowledge from these guys that have come from yeah. the corners of the world? And how do I leverage that and build something coherent? Can you talk about that in your first few weeks in preseason? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, right? So you've got all this, all this talent, all this knowledge coming in. Um, and we've learned it, it, it's, a little, it's a little bit of both. It's great to have all that knowledge but you're also getting a bunch of different players from different corners of the world that different aspects, they clear out differently. They right. fold differently. They, um, they, they double tackle differently. Uh, it's all basically the same result, but they get there at a different point. So we, we, we love being player driven. We're leading, leading a little bit more towards uh, le player leadership driven rather than having everybody say, Hey, back at Leinster, we did this. And back at Bay of Plenty, we did this. Right. They're all the right, they're all the right answer, but we, we can't have all those answers all the time. So we've kind of done a good job of let, letting the boys have some input. And now we're kind of kind of batting in the hatches down and, 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 and driving things in the direction we want to go. But honestly, it's been a great experience the first couple of weeks, getting all these guys and see, seeing the different, different types of, um, you know, backgrounds and, and ways, ways the boys play and the ways boy, boys approach the training sessions. And of course, that, that's a huge challenge around culture, right? Because you've got guys with different languages. Even if it's English, they'll say things differently. And I think we all saw on social media the fact that you guys were like up in the woods in the snow or something like that. Yeah. Talk us through a little bit about that team building activity that you guys did. Yeah, so it was brilliant. Uh, the first day that the boys come in, or the, finally, we finally flew everyone in. We did the uh, two-hour trip up to Hanover to, uh, to Dartmouth. And uh, the club put us up in a hotel. We did a... Uh, ton of team building exercises a couple of them went, went out into the woods kind of talked about what the season would be like that the the uh the pitfalls that were ahead of us the challenges that were ahead of us the opportunities that could that could be positive the opportunities that could be negative and uh gave the boys a, a real opportunity to step outside their comfort zone right we so we had like two or three players that had never seen snow before and they were they, they were snowshoeing right and then we we, we the, second, the first day we were there, we did like a, a three and a half mile hike up in the icy side of a, a ski, ski mountain, which I, as, you can, as you would probably guess, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is yeah, the problem yeah. with being player driven, right? If you're player driven, you've got to be with them step by step, even if it's up an icy mountain. Yeah. The worst part was Mags was at the top of the mountain in like 15 minutes. The rest yeah. of us got up there in like 45 minutes. <laughs> And, he, and even like like halfway up there called and is like, are you still with us? I'm like, hell, I'm still with you. I'm, climb I'm still climbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, it was brilliant. It was a good opportunity. I mean, talk about being vulnerable and, and kind of putting yourself out there. It was a situation, you know, a bunch of guys that never met uh, in a span of 48 hours were, you know, kind of answering, answering deep questions about themselves, you know, performing tasks that they need to become teammates. It was, it was a good session. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's the whole kumbaya thing, right? You're bringing them together, you're making connections and uh, you know, it was brilliant. We're lucky. We're lucky to have uh, ownership that understands how important that type of thing is. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it is, um, 
if you look at, I mean, if you look at the sports science research, it'll tell you it's more important than the X's and O's. And so, you know, people will look, look yeah. at those pictures and say, why aren't they, you know, they're a new team. But if you don't get that right, it doesn't matter what you do on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to have some pretty big challenges, right? We're, we're, we're in an area where it's, it's tough to play for three months of the year. We're going to be on the road for the first five weeks. Um, some of the boys are going to be left home while we're on the road. We've got some big challenges in front of us. So we need a good foundation, a good structure of, of the boys understanding this goal is about 16 weeks over six months. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to end in February or, or March and we need to be, keep the, keep our eyes on what that big picture is. Now let's, let's talk about the squad that the free Jacks have developed. I mean, I mean, you're fortunate to have such a program that you were part of with mystic river. There's a number of very strong players there that I'm sure are going to be important for you, but obviously not enough to round out a competitive major league rugby squad. What was your involvement in sort of the worldwide recruiting that happened? Um, and, you know, how did you guys, how did the Free Jacks go about building that squad? Yeah, so it was an interesting road. You know, coming in as an expansion, the, the well for Americans was pretty dried up. You know, obviously, there, was no, there wasn't too many guys sitting out there. Uh, we, were, we were lucky enough for... Uh, to pick to pick up Tig, Tig leader to come back, come over from San Diego, that that kind of answered checked a huge box for us in the, in the fly half position. Obviously, uh, as an American eligible player as well. So kind of from there, we w- went into the well and was like, all right, how do we want to build this? I think set piece was very important to us. Um, we, we we took a good hard look at set piece. Same deal, right? You get nine nine clubs already organized. There's not a whole lot of MLR ready American props that are looking looking, looking to move around. So we had to go outside the States for that stuff. And what, what, one of the thing, one of the places we looked at, talked about salaries, talked about guys making good salary um, over the year playing rugby and Mito 10, right. We're a great matchup for a guy to play Mito 10 and then come over to the States and play MLR for a little bit and earn a pretty good salary. And then it's attractive, right? You get your rugby at home, you stay linked up at home and then, and then you get to come over here and enjoy the States for a bit. And uh, it's a pretty good, pretty good standard of rugby. So we really, Kind of, kind of honed in on the, the Mitre 10 and, and guys in the Mitre 10 that we knew immediately could check the boxes of the positions we weren't going to find in the States. So that was kind of the, the, um, the, blue, the, you know, the blueprint there and, and, and how we went about it. As far as you know, how, the, uh, how the staff built it up, myself, uh, Tom Kindly, our analyst, did, he did a bit of work with uh, the Eagles at the World Cup, working with Jimmy Harrison. He was a big driving force with the recruiting as well as obviously Mags. So it was kind of three-headed monster. We we were lucky enough to get into it pretty early. We had our we had ninety percent of our roster buttoned up by August, and then you know a couple of things fell through, so we added guys as we went along. But we really got a pretty early jump on on what we wanted to do and, and the pieces we wanted to fill. Now, now let, let's talk about you know you guys. I think as an expansion or have been ahead of the game um, relative to the other teams in the East like DC and Atlanta. I mean, you you actually played high-level competitive games last year in the Cara Cup. Can you talk a little bit about how important those games were for the U.S. players and the guys that were in New England for you to be able to see how they could step up to that level? Yep. So I can't speak highly enough of, of it. Um, it was a huge, huge learning experience for, uh, for the players, for the staff, for the management. We, we kind of got – we got to fail. We got to fail, and it didn't cost us any wins and losses. Um, we got – the opportunity to bring in some great clubs, see where the standard is at, see the level, see what pressure is, um, see what level of fitness needed to happen. Logistically, for our management and our, and our back office, they got to see 
you know, things are going to fall apart on Saturday and we right. have to figure it out on Saturday. You know, um, our vendor is not going to show up and someone's going to have to lay the grill up and, and, and compensate for that. But um, it was it was brilliant. It was a, it was a great setup for us. We we really got a great opportunity to, to ID all the local talent. Uh, and that's really what that was about. We, we kind of took a huge look at local talent, maybe some talent from the Midwest. Um, we got a couple a look at a couple guys that were, were let go from other MLR clubs to see if if they had staying power. But uh, it was a good it was a good screenshot at what, what it was going to be like. The one thing we learned as a staff, um, honestly, was just to move things along, stay accurate, stay, stay on point. Like, don't browbeat these guys with information. Um, you know, you hate saying it, but sometimes, sometimes less is more. And that, that coming from the club, club scene into the pro scene is, is definitely one thing we picked up and really adopted. Uh, we, you know, yeah, I mean, I club think, scene, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, a learning that you have at high level rugby, which is, uh, you don't need to do as much. And also you actually have more time. And so you, if you take your club approach and put it into the professional game, it's too much, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's definitely, it's, it, it, is, it is a different mindset that is, uh, you know, as opposed to cramming things in into two two-hour practices, right? Each week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it was great to, to have that, um, to have that, you know, that umbrella, uh, the, the, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that grace to fall, you know what I mean? So we, it was, um, it, uh, the carrot cup honestly was brilliant for us. I hope we're, I hope we show that we're better for it. I, I know we know, we know, we know, um, how we can fail now. We, and, and we, and we're better for it up to, up to now. Um, that doesn't mean the learning stops though, right? There's always, cool. yeah, cool. yeah. We, I mean, j just, just simple, simple thing. We, we, we have an all, we're playing an all-star side this weekend and we're already for the weekend, we're, we're dealing with issues with the bubble and, things coming in we might be outside we might be inside right and it, it, it yeah the headaches never end <laughs> right, right 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 it's always right yeah right. yeah it's gonna be like that and, and all the travel you have there's gonna be issues with travel there'll be issue with hotels absolutely yeah i can tell you as a head coach i'm not excited for my my uh mlr debut to be the first 10 days in las vegas that is not the place i wanted to start right but, so you guys so, yes let's talk about that you guys have your first sort of home game right it's in Vegas, yes. which is the weekend before the Vegas weekend. And then you guys are staying in Vegas, which is going to be a test of your culture, right? For the yes. week, right? So, yes, so, yes. So, so to play to play in the big Vegas weekend, the Valentine's weekend, the second weekend in, in, in February. So that, I mean, I mean, yep. there, is, there is some advantage in the sense that you get that kind of touring experience, right? Where you're together the whole time, like, which is a little bit different than it no would normally be where people would, go back to their own homes and things like that. But yeah, it is an unusual way to start the season. Yeah. We're looking, so we're looking at that trip as a tour, 10 day tour. And then um, we come home for four days and then we go back out to San Diego and then up to Seattle. So it's basically two, two 10 day tours in February. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting way to start. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah. I was saying before, it's a, a great trivia question when the MLR pops off will be the, the first match between uh, Rooney and Boston and, and New England, where was it held? In the right, 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 right. The rivalry, the East Coast yeah, rivalry. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be yeah, Vegas. Yeah. Well, well, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the betting community would be very happy with 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 something yeah. like that. Hey, just just a yeah. couple more questions for you, no, Josh, yeah. and I appreciate sure, the sure. time. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your approach is to kind of 
the start of the season. So you've got your squad. Do you have an idea of what your starting lineup is, or is that something where there's an open competition? How's that working out for your, you know, for the way that you're thinking about that first game, which isn't that far away? Right. Yeah. So we're probably, if I was looking at that first trip, we're probably chopped down to about probably 28 of the 23. So we probably get four or five position battles going. Um, and that will kind of dictate how, how the rest of the roster falls in. But I think, to, you know, today we, we, we went at it pretty hard attack-wise and just kind of guys going in and out, getting major minutes. It was four or five position battles that we're looking at. We're still waiting on two, um, two overseas guys to come in. They should be in this weekend, and that, that will complete the roster from there. So the, the balance, we have, we have the two scrimmages in the next two weeks. Uh, then we have, a, we, have a, we have a week off, and then we'll head to Vegas after that. So we get, we get a good amount of time to kind of sort, sort those out. Um, and then, you know, uh, can you let us know what we, you know, what we should expect to see, you know, with the expansion teams, you know, with sort of San Diego and Rooney, like we have an idea, even with new coaches about like what kind of game they're going to play. But, you know, could you like in, in that first game against Rooney, what would be, you know, from your vision as a coach, what would you like to show like the league in terms of the approach to play that the Free Jacks will bring? Well, Get the opportunity to, to go head to head with my man Greg McWilliams. You know, <laughs> t tells me we got we got to have a shootout, right? It's gonna be nice and warm and dry out in Vegas. We want to throw the ball all over the park, right? <laughs> so uh, we, we're 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 expecting a nice shootout for for the opener. Okay, so you're gonna you, you guys, it's gonna be fifty five forty five, and whoever scores last is gonna win. Yes, no no defense needed, no ta no tackle rate needed. <laughs> well, we'll say about. We'll We'll save all that for when we come back home. Okay, that sounds great. Well, Josh, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, we wish you all the luck. It's exciting to have, um, you know, the three Jacks coming to the league and especially a coach with your background. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Peter. Aaron, Aaron and Peter, thank, thank you for having me on. There you go, Josh Smith, New England Free Jacks. And Pete... A very experienced coach and Alex Magleby going the way of a local coach as well, which I think is a brilliant idea, keeping uh, that Boston feel to the team. As we know, Boston sports fans, probably some of the most loyal in the country. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like the way, um, um, you know, Alex Magleby has been pulling together this program. I mean, they've got, they're, they're very strong on high performance, already have analysts, performance coaches in place. A big shout out to Catherine Henry, as their head uh, um, ATC, someone that I work that I've worked with and is and, and is really high quality. And I think you know keeping those Boston roots is important for the brand of the team. But you know it's great to see someone um, like Mags backing the pathway, right? I mean, and, you know Josh has been coach USA Rugby Coach of the Year. Um, you know Mags was the general manager of um, high performance, and it's great to see him giving uh, um, giving uh, um, Josh the opportunity. But it's you know, I think he probably has one of the toughest jobs in Major League Rugby this year because there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Um, it's, a, it's a northern team, right? So the start of the season is going to be tough. And, and, and you know, he's going, to, he's going to be challenged. But, you know, what we heard is that he's one of these uh, coaches that's always learning. And I think that's great. And, they're, you know, sounds like they're pulling a lot out of the experienced players that are coming in. And that's what they're going to need to do to be successful in the professional environment. That's right on the hot seat, Pete. Toronto and New York came out of the East into the playoffs last year to the Free Jacks in their first year in the competition make the top three in the East? I don't think so. 
Um, and, and I don't think it's like, I think they're going to be competitive. I think some of it is the start to the season is so hard. It's going to be very difficult to recover from that. I think that um, there are, you know, Toronto and Rooney and Nola, um, you know, come in, making adjustments, knowing more about their players. I think, you know, if, if any of the uh, um, expansion teams are going to make it, I'd probably put my money on Atlanta, partly because they've also had a lot of work previously and they're leaning on um, the life connection. So they're learning a lot. But, you know, my view is that the returning teams are probably most likely to end up in the top three. That's a really good point. We'll jump into that when we do uh, Atlanta, but I kind of glossed over that myself, that that life has pretty been much been running itself as a professional setup for the better part of a decade down there. So a lot of those systems are already in place. Well, well done, Pete Steinberg. Well done, my friend. Well, right. and, it, it, and, and it's interesting, right? Because we, life had um, life, oops, you know, Atlanta um, actually had some preseason action. Uh, they got to play um, NOLA this past weekend. Were you able to catch any of that game, Dan? Well, let's go around the grounds. My favorite segment on oh, the show. Oh, around the grounds. Sorry. Sorry, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot the title. Did it, did it, did around the grounds. Yes. I was doing was. the hosting job. Not there the, was. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, shouldn't you, be, I, I should stay in my box. You're a talented man. You can do uh, whatever you want. And uh, let me just echo your, uh, your well wishes to Matt McCarthy as well. It was great to be on the show with Matt. I was on there with Gift, uh, Ibalu as well. So... Good little podcast. If uh, once you finish this one, jump over to Rugby Wrap Up and give uh, Pete Show a watch as well. But yeah, let's go around the grounds. Uh, preseason action. We saw our first preseason action of 2020 with two major league rugby sides playing against each other. It was Nola Atlanta at Life University, and uh, I did get to catch some of this match. They they put it up on the stream on Facebook, so I'm going to go back and watch the entirety of the match eventually. But uh, I was super impressed with Atlanta. I got to admit, I thought Nola, one of the really good sides that came out of last year, I thought that just the experience and the, the hardened game readiness that they'd accumulated over two years would be too much for Atlanta. And I know it's preseason and you can't read too much into it, but yeah, I come away very impressed with Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think let's start with it's preseason. I mean, one of the things about preseason games is you don't actually know what the outcomes are for the coaches. And, you know, I think for, um, you know, Nate Osborne, he can go into this game and be like, look, we're going to try a whole bunch of different stuff because our systems are already in place. We're going to try some different combinations. You know, we're just going to, like, do some experimentation. Well, I think Scott Lawrence needs to go into this game and says, hey, we've only got a few games and then the games count. And so it isn't, you know, it isn't surprising that the expansion team might take the game, I I wouldn't say more seriously, but might be more focused in the game. What What I would say is that, I mean, I'm with you. I think that um, Atlanta showed some... I mean, I was able to watch most of the first half and they ended up playing three periods. And I think that in that first half, you know, Atlanta showed how, um, how what a smart team they were. They were able to play territory. It's been one of Nola's problems is their um, inability to really control the territory. They like to keep the ball in hand. Um, they, you know, showed some physicality um, and, you know, they showed some threat out wide. I mean, I think the start shocked... Nola a little bit. Atlanta pulled out early, um, but then Nola was able to work the way back. It was actually a pretty pretty good game. It was mess, very messy at the breakdown. I think one of the interesting things, Dan, about um, the uh, turf, which is which people don't realize, is that in, in turf, you actually need to post the ball differently. You've got to place it post-tackle differently because it will roll. And there are a number of times in that first half when the 
ball was posted by both Nola and Atlanta, and then it would roll out, roll out of the ruck. And so, you know, you actually need to have a slightly different technique with a little bit more control, probably hold the ball a little bit nearer you when you're on a turf like that. So there were some messy bits about it, like the lineouts weren't great. But overall, I was actually, I mean, I was entertained by the game, which really bodes well for the season. Yeah, it looked like a pretty good crowd in there too for a preseason game. So hopefully uh, people are used to traveling out to Marietta to watch live games. So not a, a unusual uh, occurrence there to go out there and watch the games. The other preseason action, Pete, was on the other coast as San Diego took on some of the local sides there in Belmont Shore and Ombak, two very well-known club sides in the US and uh, San Diego looking sharp early on. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, um, we're going to see uh, the um, the, uh, the the gap between major league rugby teams and local club teams um, grow. I know like Southern California has very as a very strong rugby tradition. Both Ombak and Belmont Shore are both powerhouses, and you know they would probably feel like they can compete in year one against the Legion, but it's just going to grow. And I think we'll see San Diego play. Um, what most of the other teams end up playing, which is some sort of barbarians or all-star team made up of the best players. Because I think in Southern California, you could probably get an all-star team made up of the best players that could play San Diego and be a little bit more competitive. So, you know, I think I think these games are, are you know, that game was sort of an easy run out. I actually think they were only 30-minute training games. So I'm not sure how much we can read, read into it. But... Um, you know, I think that, you know, San Diego has the benefit of having that nice weather. They can play as much as they want. I'm excited to see if they can pull a few diamonds out of these games as well when they play the club sides. A couple of young players may have slipped through the net or gone under the radar that get a shot against uh, an MLR side and impress and get bought up. I want to I want to see a couple of those stories start to develop out of these preseason games as well. But uh, we'll have to wait till the year progresses. All right, mate, let's do some other news league-wise. There was a couple more partnerships announced. Uh, one today was a big one was Catapult, which is a GPS company uh, involved with you know, sports GPS. I'm pretty sure most listeners are aware of the involvement and how important GPS has become in the game of rugby. Uh, sports Digita partnership and Rugby Pass. So Sports Digita, more on the commercial side of things. Rugby Pass will be doing the international streaming side of things as well. Uh, Pete, your thoughts on those? Anything quick? Well, you know, quickly, I think Catapult is a great partnership. GPS is such a tool, and it's also very expensive. I mean, I'm not sure um, people realize it's like twenty thousand dollars for a, 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 you know a set of um, a set of GPS for a rugby team. Um, you know, Rugby Pass is great. They're they're not that well known in the US, but in Asia in particular, very very well known and and have a broad um, a, a broad reach. So I think it's a way of you know. So last year, all of the international games were on Facebook. And now, you know, Rugby Pass have obviously seen value in Major League Rugby. And I think it's true with all of these partnerships where it's sort of like, it's great to see some of these names stepping in and saying, hey, there's some, there's some value in being associated with Major League Rugby. And Rugby Pass believing that there's a, um, you know, there's an audience for Major League Rugby around the world, I think is nothing but positive. And I think, you know, part of that is some of the big names that are coming here. Yeah, I agree. I really do. I think it's going to be great. Uh, Rugby Pass, very well known. And I actually watched quite a bit of their stuff. So good to have them involved as well. Uh, let's go to this weekend. There's a little bit of preseason actioning. The champs, the Seattle Seawolves, will take on Vancouver Island Crimson Tide on Saturday. San Diego will 
bounce back against Onback and play Life West in probably a very similar situation to what they did with Onback and Belmont. Old Glory will take on the U.S. Naval Academy out there, and then Utah and Toronto in Vegas somewhere. And uh, Pete, nothing really to talk about there. But the big one, as we leave on Vegas, is there is a venue change for the Magic Weekend in Vegas as MLR will return to the spiritual home of rugby in Las Vegas, Sam Boyd Stadium, which, of course, hosted the USA Sevens for about a decade, Pete? Yep, yep. Lots of lots of great memories in Sam Boyd. And I think that Sam Boyd Stadium is, I think, like soon to be no more. So there's an opportunity for rugby fans to go out and to end an era, right, with, uh, with Sam Boyd that has done so much to grow the game in the U.S. I mean, I think 80,000 fans they had, um, for the USA Sevens last year when it was there. And it's uh, great to have rugby and Major League Rugby take the opportunity to kind of say goodbye to, um, to a place that is special in a lot of rugby fans' um, hearts uh, in America because, you know, so many great experiences out there. Although I have to admit it has been cold a couple of times when you've been out there. It's been maybe those are the, the more memorable ones when the wind is blowing. But uh, um, interesting to see they go back there and uh, looking forward to seeing um, what happens in this Major League Rugby Vegas weekend. And I, I, I think this, you know, this, this could be an annual thing. I think it's something where we can continually go back um, two games, both days, double headers, very similar to going out there for the sevens, right? Um, maybe a little bit easier because when you went out there for the sevens, it was such a long day to be out there. But you get to go out there, see two games Saturday and uh, two games Sunday. And it's going to be, uh, um, I think it's going to be a great weekend. Yeah. I still, I still remember the sevens, uh, the sevens boys winning out there, Danny Barrett with the, uh, the WWF title belt wrapped around uh, over the top of his shoulder. And just some of the stuff that Perry Baker and Carlin Isles have done over there through the years, a lot of nostalgia. So good way to say goodbye to Sam Boyd with a quick trip out to Vegas there. And I think uh, locality-wise, too, a little closer to the Strip. Could be wrong. My geography's not great. <laughs> well, it's, it's not that hard to get around Vegas, let's be honest. Like, you can just jump in an Uber and get wherever you want to go, and it, it, isn't, it isn't too bad. I, I, I do want to go back a little bit to the preseason action because I think there's a couple of really interesting, um, uh, like, challenges coming up. So, you know, the thing that's interesting for me is um, Seattle versus Vancouver Island Crimson Tide, which is basically an all-star team of all the teams that are, um, that, that are out, out in the West. That's going to be a really, really interesting game for Seattle. I mean, there are players out there um, in Vancouver that are quality Major League Rugby players. And it'll be like, I'm going to be interesting to see it. It might be a bit of a marker for um, a potential team in Vancouver. And then the, uh, um, the second thing is to see Life West stand up against, you know, um, against the Legion. So they're playing on, um, you know, on back and, and the Legion in a um, round robin. And Life West, obviously, is, you know, followed in Life East's footsteps. And again, has some really, really good teams. So those, those are going to be very, um, very interesting games. And then um, the, uh, the Tasman team, the Mitre 10 team, they've brought a young development squad out here. So um, watching them play Houston will give us, you know, people are always saying, well, what's better, Mitre 10? Or, um, or Major League Rugby. So this is a chance for Major League Rugby to step up. So then playing Houston and then playing Seattle the following weekend, I think will be um, a really interesting data point on where Major League Rugby stands 
when it comes to sort of the uh, um, other leagues around the world. Thanks, Peter. I actually forgot to scroll down. I didn't see Colorado, Atlanta, and Vegas, and Houston, and the Makos down there. Sabercats versus the Makos reminds me of uh, the other guys where he talks about the line and the tuna, and uh, the line <laughs> drags out to deep water, and they get a taste for the tuna, get a taste for it, and so then they figure out how to get on dry land. It's a great scene. Will Farrell, Mark Wahlberg at their absolute best. So I'll leave you on that one. And it promises to be a good weekend. Just, uh, what is it now? Three weekends, Pete? Oh, it, it's, it's, it's we coming up. Started? It's, it's, it's coming up. I mean, I think that um, I'm, you know, uh, I, I'm, I, my, my wife is due in the middle of the season in early March. And uh, I'm trying to work out how I can um, make sure I stay up with the games. But, um, you know, there's going to be more games for us to watch now, Dan. I mean, that's the, that's the great thing, uh, you know, that, that we'll be able to – there'll be games all over the place and uh, we'll have to find more time during the week to make sure that we're up for our Major League Rugby podcast each week. Absolutely. We will go back to a weekly podcast once the season's up and running and we will have no shortage of content. Well, that wraps up another show for Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Power. Thanks for tuning in. When we come back, we'll uh, jump in. Aaron, quickly, unmute yourself. Who are we doing next? Just so I, I can mess it up again. Uh, we will, uh, locked in, be with Rugby ATL. And head coach and general manager, Scott Lawrence, will be our guest. Scott Lawrence joining the show. for the. Are they the Rattlesnakes yet? Or are we still Rugby Atlanta? Still We're Rugby, rugby Atlanta. ATL. <laughs> rugby ATL. Rugby ATL. Because yeah. down in Atlanta, that's, they, they talk about the ATL. And so their, their branding, I think for anyone outside of Atlanta, gives like a bit of a quizzical look. But I think for the people in Atlanta, it, it, it makes sense. And Dan, let's not forget to encourage people to um, subscribe uh, to the podcast, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your um, podcasts. Also, please leave a rating. Um, and uh, you know, if there's any funny comments that people leave when they leave a rating, we'll read them out. How does that sound, Dan? I love it. I saw one Steinberg for prayers from last year. It's my favourite one yet. Uh, Brendan <laughs> Shea out here in Denver, a former Denver barbarian, giving you a shout out. BT, always the man. Thanks for listening in, brother. All right, that does wrap it up. We'll see you next time for Rugby Atlanta. Thanks for joining us again, folks. Have a great one. <laughs>